Morning Twitter. I am Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. You are on Friday, and you are watching AM to DM. Amen. Some amazing news this morning. Meef Eater Magazine tweeted, congrats to Rihanna on the launch of her LVMH luxury Maison brand. Named Fenty, she's the first black woman to launch a fashion brand with LVMH. Rihanna will debut her first collection on May 22nd. You know Rihanna's out here winning when Isaac learns how to say maison. I said maison. Listen, maison. I, the, I love she, it. Rihanna made me learn it. She's <laughs> making me a better I person. She was like, I can't go to the Met Gala. Yeah. I've got things to do. She's like, I'm not wearing one dress because <laughs> I'm going to launch a line. I live for this. Um, here's a tweet from the New York Times. Rihanna's line will be the first new house created by LVMH. LVMH since Christian Lacroix in 1987. And here's the thing, LVMH owns like basically all of the fashion houses, mm. I think except for mm. uh, Dolce Gabbana, Versace, and maybe Prada. They own mm. all the rest That's of when them. you know, it's when it's easier to list what they mm -hmm. don't own than right. to list what they do own, right. that's when you know they own a yeah. lot. Yeah, and uh, LVMH has been, I think, one of the backers behind Fenty, the, the, the mm -hmm. beauty. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's like, oh, they know she's already doing well and Savage, the, the lingerie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I haven't been able to buy all the lingerie yet, <laughs> um, but it's like, it's a vote of confidence. Absolutely, yeah. and it's, what this means is money, Yeah, right? This means big, big money for Rihanna. And I know when we talk about Rihanna, it's very easy to be like, oh, where's the music though? Right. We miss the music. But it's like, she's not trying to be a musician. She's trying to be a mogul. She's like, she's like do you want to listen to hoe music or do you want to dress like a hoe? I want to <laughs> dress like a hoe, Rihanna, and I thank you. But like a fancy one, right? Because uh, I did have to learn how hoe. to say- no. I won't be able to expense Maison? No, that's expensive. LVMH, I think it's going to be a little bit expensive, I right? I think be saying Maison for the rest of the I'm day. I'm really proud of myself. Maison. But let's take it to the timeline. <laughs> Tell us what you think Rihanna should take over next, because she's out here just becoming a conglomerate herself. Yeah. Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. A rare bit of good news. Let's go to hell, shall we? Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. Chaos erupted in the Alabama Senate after Republicans suddenly stripped exceptions for rape and incest from a near total ban on abortion in the state without allowing a roll call vote. Uh, listen, this moment is pretty mm -hmm. surreal. Uh, we're just going to look at a brief uh, bit of it. All those in favor say aye. No, no, Any ho, opposed? Ho, 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 ho. Motion passes. Ho, ho. Committee Mr. amendment Chairman, is tabled. Senator President, Chambliss. There was no motion. There was no motion. There was a motion. He made a motion. He didn't even make a motion, Mr. President. Hold on. Excuse he, me. He did not make a motion. He made a motion to table. He did not make a motion. There was hey. no motion from the other side. My goodness. That almost feels like a childish moment to me. Like they just tried to like, oh, if I say it really quickly, then we're just gonna get away with it. So, and it reminds you, I mean, this is Alabama. This is not the state of Georgia, which we were focusing on yesterday. Just, so it's just yesterday. My goodness. Well, Abby Crane, a reporter for Reckon Alabama, has been covering this story and she joins us now. Abby, good morning. Hey guys, how's it going? It's going okay. Yeah. We appreciate you coming on the show. I want to say that vote looked so chaotic. What was going on? So, um, Will Ainsworth was doing a uh, voice vote rather than a roll call vote, which Representative Singleton wanted, basically wanted these Republicans to put their names on it if they were going to take this take this um, amendment out. And so um, he quickly uh, did a did a voice vote, and um, Democrats were not happy. They were not happy. Uh, what is the current state uh, law in Alabama regarding reproductive health? So uh, abortions are legal in Alabama up to 21 weeks. Um, we only have three abortion clinics in the entire state. 
Um, and it, it, it's tough. Uh, I, I, I've talked to lots of women. Um, we have um, a few organizations, the Powerhouse and the Yellowhammer Fund, who actively work to help um, women fund their abortions. Um, but it's it's definitely still incredibly stigmatized. Right. Um, there was a moment where uh, uh, a state Democratic uh, Congresswoman uh, figures, I believe, said, listen, I know this is going to pass anyway, but we want, uh, a, you know, a vote. We want to, like, have uh, people stand for themselves. So what, what was she speaking to? What was the dynamic she was addressing? So, I mean, she obviously uh, the we have a Republican supermajority. The bill would have passed. It, I mean, the amendment could have been struck down easily. Um, but she wanted she wanted things to to go the way they're supposed to, and she wanted um, the people that were going to take away this right. Uh, to put their names on it. And um, by doing a voice vote, they wouldn't be able to. And that's the real important thing here, right? A roll call vote means that every vote would actually be written down and recorded instead of just like a loudness vote, basically, which is what they were going for, which means anybody could say they, oh, uh, you, you right. never actually have the written facts of who Less voted for what. I did want to ask real quick, what would this law enable, basically? What would it look like in Alabama after it passes? And what are opponents saying about that? So right now, the bill could easily pass um, and be signed into law by our governor, Kay Ivey. Um, the ACLU has promised and the Amplam Parent has promised to uh, challenge it. And um, we've spent, in one case, uh, fighting a trap law, $1.7 million in taxpayer money to, uh, to fight this lawsuit, which was ultimately overturned. And... Um, it wouldn't go into abortion. I just want to say abortion is still legal in Alabama. I think people are kind of um, up in arms and, and nervous that, you know, as soon as they sign this into in sign the bill, approve the bill, approve the law, then there will be no abortions. But it's going to take a little bit. Um, and I think we have some people, especially the ACLU of Alabama, that will um, try to fight it try to fight it. Um, Abby, listen, I, I grew up, I, my family's from Tennessee. I grew up in North Texas. I know you were based in, uh, I believe, Birmingham, Alabama. And I, I think you tweeted yesterday that, like, listen, the South is not a monolith. Um, and, and I wanted you to speak to that because I think obviously a lot of people who don't live in the South are very concerned about what's going on in states like Alabama and Georgia. And so just from your perspective, um, how do you feel about the ongoing conversation? So I think people are, are are super quick to get on their high horses and 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 say, look how look how much worse off uh, the South is. Look how look how they're ruining things over there. But um, I think people, you know, need to turn to look to the people that are doing on the ground work. And um, I don't know, just just think before think before you. Um, discourage people that are that are working in Alabama in the South. Um, I mean, it's tough. It's tough down here. I'm not going to lie. It's tough, but um, that's that's for us to that's for us to. You can't talk about our state like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're looking for support and not judgment and criticism. Right, I do sure. want to say I, we can hear the dogs in the background. They've had I'm so sorry. No, no, do not apologize. <laughs> we love it when there are pets that we can hear. So we want to let you go give them some love. I love it. Abby, thank you for your work uh, and thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, incredible. Well, here's a tweet from ProPublica reporter Justin Elliott. 
We heard from dozens of readers and found TurboTax into it, repeatedly lying to get out of refunding overcharged customers. I didn't even know this was a scam that was going on. Justin, whose beat is basically how shitty TurboTax is, because yeah. apparently it's really <laughs> shitty, uh, joins us now. Justin, good morning. Hey, good to be here. All right, fuck up my mood, Justin. Uh, what is uh, Free File? I literally have never heard of it. And how is it supposed to work? <clears throat> yeah, sure. So basically, uh, Intuit, which is the company that makes TurboTax, which is what most people use to file their taxes, uh, entered into a deal with the IRS that says they will offer a free uh, option to people making under $34,000 a year. And the reason the company did this is that in return, the IRS promised never to create its own system, which would compete with the company. Um, so what we've been writing about is there's a lot of people out there who make under that amount of money who ended up having to pay TurboTax essentially because they were tricked into using the paid products. Okay, and wow. just, Justin, we want you to talk a little bit more about that because that's the, they basically promised the government that this is going to be a free thing that you can access if you make under this amount of money, but you talked to numerous users who ended up paying for it. What happened? Yeah, I mean, we have stories of over 100 people now. So basically, uh, the company has set up something called the free edition, which is actually different than the free file edition. And if you click on the free edition, which is the thing that they advertise everywhere and that you'll find through Google, for example, uh, depending on your tax situation, uh, it's likely that you'll end up paying 50, 100 bucks, maybe, maybe even 200 bucks. And so, you know, my email box is full of stories of people who don't make that much money. Like we're talking $15,000 a year in some cases who ended up paying 200 bucks to TurboTax to file their taxes when it should have been free. So that's, that's basically the issue here. Uh, this is baffling to me. And obviously taxes are on everyone's mind from the individual to, you know, the White House at this point. How does a company like Intuit get away with this? What is this company? Yeah, I mean, interesting, the interesting thing about it is like this is a Silicon Valley tech company. Uh, it's based in Mountain View, California. And uh, one of the things they've been doing for years is uh, cultivating politicians of, of both parties. They've spread millions of dollars around to Democrats and Republicans. Uh, they do a lot of lobbying. Uh, and one of the focuses of their lobbying for years is making sure the IRS, the government itself, doesn't make filing your taxes easier. Uh, it's, it's actually much easier in many other countries. Uh, and the reason the company is afraid of that is that it would, you know, it would hurt their business model. It would hurt their business model. Listen, Justin, you have been on this beat for a while now. So I just wanted to ask, one, what are some of the other ways in which TurboTax or Intuit have been screwing over American citizens? But two, you just mentioned other countries. Can you just, I think for most Americans, yeah. we just think taxes suck and that's right. the way it's got to be. What are the ways other people live? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we actually, uh, ProPublica did a whole like Twitter thread on this a few weeks ago because we were getting people responding to us from all over the world. So it, you know, a lot of developed countries have a system where because the government already has all the data, you know, if you have a normal job, uh, you're paying taxes every paycheck. So the, the, the tax agency knows that. So in many other countries, they have what is sometimes called like a return free filing system, which means that uh, you don't have to go through a whole process of filling out a form. You might get a form that's pre-filled out and you just look it over and essentially like click OK. Um, and that's the thing that Intuit and the rest of the industry have been uh, trying to stop from happening here for years. 
Um, so, you know, it, it's pretty remarkable when you hear from people from, you know, all over the world saying, we don't even know what, like, the phrase doing your taxes means here. That is so depressing. You just like, the oxygen just left my lungs for a moment. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, as someone who is so um, deep on this beat and in this story, what has surprised you the most as you have learned about the way taxes as an industry and uh, function in our country? Yeah, I mean, a, a couple of things. I, one of the striking things has been that, you know, I've, I've now been hearing from people that work at Intuit and, and H&R Block and the other companies. And one of the striking things is that many people inside the companies don't even know about this deal uh, the, that they've made with the government to, in which they're supposed to offer this free option. Uh, you know, the story that we just did that I think was uh, also, uh, you know, was somewhat surprising is, after we published our first stories, some people in the situation who, who got charged but should have gotten it for free started calling. And at first, uh, TurboTax was, was actually giving people refunds, which was great. We wrote about it. And then uh, what happened is they set up a sort of special uh, team to, to route all those calls to and, were, and have just been telling people no. And some of our readers have actually been sending us audio of those calls. And we found that the uh, the Intuit uh, call center people have just been, you know, repeatedly lying to people about how this program works. They've been saying it's not our program, it's not our product. The IRS runs it, which is not true, uh, and a, a number of other falsehoods to in order to deny people refunds. So we were, uh, you know, surprised when we when we heard that, and so we did a whole other story about it. This is a company that is actively lying to its user. Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, guys. We're fucked, y'all. I mean, and here's the thing. You should all, if this interests you at all, follow Justin, because again, he has been just owning this beat. We've got another great show for you today. Author Miriam Taze is here, but up next, fire tweets with Gabrielle Ruiz from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. This is a very special edition of Fire Tweets. I am joined by actor Gabrielle Ruiz from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, who's going to help me go through some of these Fire Tweets. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. You're an absolute delight. I'm a giant fan. The show is so incredible. Congrats on everything. (laughs) All right, but first I'm going to show you how to do Fire Tweets. You ready? Yeah. All right. I mean, there's fire already. There is, exactly. So I hit the button and then I read the tweet. Tony tweeted, 2006 spends more on ringtones than the total cost of my phone. 2019, if my phone rings at all, I will literally throw it away. I know how he feels. Yeah, yeah. do you feel that way? It used to be very expensive. Did you ever get into the ringtone game? Oh, my agents was, don't stop. Believe it. <laughs> and that's all hold we can sing. That's all we can sing because of the law. Well, I mean, I had to hold on to my feelings you real did, hard. You did. Every was, time they called, I was like, come on, man, <laughs> give me some good news. Did you all, were you spending lots of money on it? Maybe. Do you, what about now? Do you, do you have your phone oh, no. always set to silent? No, it's on super silent because we check our phones like every two seconds anyway. So why bother me? I should bother it. <laughs> You're like, it doesn't need to call me. I yeah, call it. Yeah, Absolutely. Also like paranoid on set that it's going to Right? That would be, mm-hmm. that's always my biggest worry too. Yeah. Okay, so you hit that button. You read that tweet. Okay, here we go. All right, Alyssa tweeted, yesterday at Trader Joe's, they had my favorite beans. So I bought two. And I heard a woman say, look at her. She's so excited about the beans. Always excited about the beans. <laughs> Do you have a favorite food? Um, at Trader Joe's, it's the pickled popcorn, which is out of season. <laughs> 
Hang on. You just said three things that were amazing. One, you kept it limited to Trader Joe's. Yes. Two, the pickled popcorn. It's out of season. How is it out of season? I don't know, but I do have a meltdown every time it's not there. And the poor people at Trader Joe's look at me and they're like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's so coming my back. My emotions at Trader Joe's are like the complete opposite of Alyssa's. Do you find it to be a safe space there at Trader Joe's? They yes, take care of you? They're so nice. <laughs> when I moved across the coast, there's no Kalamata olive hummus on the West Coast. And the lady tried schooling me about it. And I was like, it exists, bro. It exists. You were like, listen, back there on the East Coast, Trader yeah. Joe's, they got this. They got the cool olive hummus. Okay. Like, Here we go. Frank, you tweeted, first date. Me, is something bothering you, babe? Her, it's nothing. Me, no, I can tell something's up. Her, it's just when your Tinder profile said, serious badass, I thought. Me, gingerly leaning forward on my hemorrhoid cushion. Uh-uh. What did you think, sweetie? Mm -mm. Mm. Mm -mm. The fact that he called her babe on the first date, though. Right? That's, talk about that. I mean, let's okay, out to me too. That's to me too. Serious badass, though. Love a good pun. You <laughs> met your husband on yes. a dating app. Yes, I did, and I messaged him first, no matter what he says. Does he? Yeah, does he I pretend like it. it's different? Well, you know, I mean, you think it's gonna be him. He's gonna be like approaching the girl. Hell no. No, you went out there and got. Tell me everything. Tell yeah, me how did you feed in? How did okay. he draw you in? So it was Super Bowl season. Okay. And New Jer uh, Jersey was hosting that year okay. in New York, and both of us had. He's a lighting designer, and so both of us had um, gigs in January of that year that were a little more than usual. Okay. And so a lot of my banter on match was like, "What are you doing for the Super Bowl?" And uh, wait, that was like your go-to line. Yeah. That was like your opener. I'm a sports girl. Yeah. <laughs> And so I was like, I just want to know, I'm pretty cool, I like sports. And then um, I was working a gig that he lit, actually, and we hadn't met yet. And so I sent him a photo. We were like, you know, we exchanged numbers at like week two or whatever. Uh -huh. And I sent him a photo of the lobby and I was like, look how pretty your lighting is. He was like, the, my assistant changed all my lighting design. Thank you so much. I have to, I have to make a phone call to fire someone. Oh my or God! I met him. I helped him fire somebody at his job. Wait, did that make you love him or did that make you scared of him? It was pretty sexy. Eh? It was <laughs> you were like, you like that he was kind of taking control uh, of the situation. Sure not. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like that's like. All right, you ready to do this tweet of the day? Uh, yeah, yeah. We hit it together, and you can read it from this oh, one up here. Yeah. Here we go. Tweet of the day comes from my husband Philip. My wife, Gabrielle Ruiz, full name, is home from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend live tour and apparently drinking, quote, all, unquote, the beer, quote, alone, unquote, <laughs> while she's gone, quote, gone, unquote, is, quote, frowned upon, unquote, in, quote, society, unquote, babe. It's a good thing he didn't, like, message me that on Match.com. Yeah, right. There would have been too many quotes. I would have passed. It would have been over. Let me tell you. Were you mad when you came? Do you know what he's talking about? Do you remember this moment? You know, he just got acid reflux, so he doesn't drink beer a lot anymore. <laughs> it's a, it's a kind of like a nice nostalgic memory now oh, that he loves beer so that much. That there was a time when that's what happened. Yeah. It seems like, though, you <laughs> like that he took control of that situation, but maybe you have a little more control now. Apparently, I guess. Whenever <laughs> I show up, he's, like, hoarding all the beer. <laughs> he's, like, living in fear. A little bit. The good thing is we don't like the same beer, so we don't share at home. Okay, that's very nice. Yeah. That's it's important to have boundaries, it no matter how much you boundaries. love somebody. Listen, we didn't live together before we got married, and people were like, "Whoa!" Sure? And I was like, "Yes, I'm sure. I like my own space." That's and how has it worked out since? Compromise. I made the choice to compromise. Yeah, and that he it's now hard. lives in another apartment, even though you're married with his own beer. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, crazy ex-girlfriend. Obviously, you guys are wrapped. Final season, like. What was it like on, in those final days? Listen, it's the show, I say this with so much love, it's the show that never ends and never wraps because 
I was supposed to be sad when we finished shooting in February, but we still had the live show to shoot mm -hmm. on Netflix or the live the, the Netflix special. Mm -hmm. So it was like, yeah, I'm sad. Have some champagne, but see you next month. Yeah, like <laughs> and and then we got sad again that it wrapped in March, and then we still had like three parties for the final episode and Rachel's birthday. <laughs> so it was just like, I mean, this is so much fun, but at the same time, like, I'm exhausted for saying goodbye. So I'm emotionally jarred. You how, said so many goodbyes. So many goodbyes. Yeah. So it feels like senior year, for sure. <laughs> because we had four seasons, and every year felt like a year of college or uh -huh. year of high school. Uh -huh. And it was so sweet because Rachel even got us, like, class rings and everything. Wait, really? Look at you. That's incredible. I know. Oh, and it's a sleigh. It's, it's a, a sleigh. Here, you can hold it out. The camera can get it. Get the camera it, can it, get guys. it. Get it. We focus it on my class yeah, ring. Bring it in. Bring it in. That's bring it. it in. There it is. That's beautiful. It has a pretzel on everything. Wait, she got you a ring. She got us all class rings. That's incredible. Tell yeah. me about the live show, though, now. You guys are doing, like, this like a it. live musical. This is actually it. This is when I'm officially going to be sad. I'm officially going to drink after. And, like, how awesome that it's in New York City. It's like a homcoming for me. Yeah. And yeah. does it feel fun to, like, perform? Because like, you, your background's Broadway. It is. So, like, does it feel good to, like, kind of get back out on the stage? Oh, it's wonderful. Especially yeah. with the amount of the repertoire of original songs that we have in the show. They're all originals, like mm -hmm. 175. 100. Wow. I think I'm saying the number wrong, but it's a lot. It's a lot. Okay. Yeah. It's over a 100. Over 100. Over 100 for sure in Easy. four seasons. Yeah. And so I'm just glad I don't have to pick the songs <laughs> to be able to, because if, if we redid every song, it'd be like 10 hour show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact that it's at Radio City, I was never tall enough to be a Rockette. So this is my time. You're absolutely living your dream. <laughs> One last question before I let you go. I heard that you were up for the part because Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, I'm a homie, man. Wait, tell me, tell yeah. me, what was, one, how did you get the role? Just tell us that. <laughs> and two, did you ever get a chance to thank Lin? Well, my debut was In the Heights on Broadway. Right. And I was part of the closing company that I did the last two years of the show. And when Rachel Bloom and Aline Bush McKenna, the creators of the show, uh, reached out to the theater folk mm. to see if there was a Latina who could sing and dance <laughs> and uh, do a self-tape, they recommended me. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I've, I've thanked him many times. And I was able to go to the Tony party for Hamilton. I was dropping that. Yeah, you know, no big, no big deal. No big deal. No big deal. No big deal. I ran right into him. Not expecting to, because it was the party of the night, right? right. So I, I just ran right into him. And he was like, Gabby! I'm Gabby here in New York. Mm -hmm. He was like, Gabby! I'm so good at yoga! And like <laughs> hugged me and I thanked him. And I was just so happy to see him and, and congratulate him, obvi, right? Right, right, right. But at the right. same time, I was like, Lynn, how do you have time to watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend <laughs> on this CW? We're not even on Netflix yet. He does. Like, he's, he's the best. Yeah, man. Like, genuinely. And gets a lot done, yeah. including some downtime. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was absolutely a pleasure to meet you. You're absolutely wonderful. Of course, you can watch, uh, catch the live show of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend at Radio City Music Hall, as she mentioned, on May 14th and 15th. Tickets are still on sale, so grab them while you can. And we've got more AM to DM in just a moment. What's up, everyone? I'm JJ Johnson. And I love rice. But you know when you order too much Chinese food and you have all that white rice left over? I'm gonna show you what to do with that in the kitchen today. All right, I'm all about leftover white rice from my favorite Chinese restaurant. But you just never know what to do with this rice. So look, hot pan, some oil, garlic, ginger, a little bit of frozen vegetables. And when I say frozen vegetables, it could be truly anything. It could be frozen peas, frozen corn, 
whatever you like. Let that cook for a little bit. So I throw my egg in now. A little scramble. Put a little more fat. Okay. Now the pint container of rice. A little bit of soy sauce. A little sweet chili. So look, take that leftover white rice from your favorite Chinese restaurant, some frozen vegetables, a little bit of condiment swag, and you got this. This plate is specially made just for you. I know this is gonna be good. There's some more AM to DM up next. I'll see you next time. Welcome back. This is the Daily Upgrade brought to you by the City Rewards Plus Card, the card designed to make the everyday more rewarding. Whether you're a recent grad looking for your first job or you're just looking for a new opportunity, job hunts can be grueling. And I am joined now by Elise Kalich, editor at The Muse, to discuss little things we can do to upgrade your career. Elise, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Okay, so what is your biggest easiest piece of advice for someone who needs to find a new job? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, you know, really tailoring your application to the job. I think so many people just shoot their resume out to hundreds of different companies hoping that they'll get a bite. Um, but, you know, hiring managers really care that you've done your research and you're showing that you have a genuine interest in this company. And so, you know, making sure that your resume really reflects the kind of skills that you can bring to the field, to the job, um, and, you know, using that as leverage to, again, talk about how much you love the company in your interviews, et cetera. Yeah, to that, and I feel like people you know, obviously if they're applying for a bunch of jobs, they don't want to write a million cover letters because it's just so draining. Yeah. But maybe instead of that, just apply to one or two or three jobs that you really want. Is that 100%. better? Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, you're going to get more bites that way, but also um, you're going to end up finding jobs that are like a better fit for you too, right? You're not going to just be, you know, accepting jobs that ultimately you're going to go back to the job search six months later and nobody wants to do that again. So if you can find a job that for the long term is going to work for you, that's great. So we have a lot of recent grads coming up about to, congrats grads right now. <laughs> it can be really intimidating to be a recent grad on the job hunt. Do you have any tips for someone who might have no idea where to start? <laughs> yeah, I think the first thing is that it's normal to be nervous. Um, I think so many people come out of college and they really don't know what they're gonna do. Um, and also, you know, how they're gonna land a job that they love. And I think the first thing is to remind yourself that it's a stepping process. Like you're gonna find jobs that, you know, are immediately gonna be a good fit for you. And some of them are just gonna be stepping stones to something bigger. Um, but, you know, giving yourself a little break of, you know, hey, I'm just starting to figure it out. I'm gonna get better at the job search as I go along. Um, and again, yeah, really doing your research the job search advice applies no matter how old you are of just, you know, really figuring out what is so important to you in terms of company fit, job fit. Um, those things are really going to help you again, you know, land a job that ultimately you stay in for a while. Yeah, that's the dream, right? <laughs> okay. I have a tweet from Joe. That's probably my least favorite part of any sort of job hunting process. They say something as simple as taking someone out for a coffee can land you a job. I hate doing this so much. I can't even <laughs> tell you how much I hate networking. 
How how does someone like me put their best foot forward in an extremely awkward social situation like that? Totally. It can feel really superficial networking, and I think the word alone just freaks people out. Um, I think, you know, starting small is really important. If you're going out to coffee with somebody, it doesn't have to be a complete stranger. It doesn't have to be somebody who works at your dream company. It can be a friend of a friend. It can be a family member. Um, really starting with your direct network and, you know, sort of broadening it out from there. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, really coming prepared to just have a conversation. Um, you're never going to go into a networking call at, or a coffee and ask for a job, first of all, because it's just not going to work. And second of all, because, you know, you're really trying to build this long-term relationship. And so if you go in, you know, just having a curiosity for the person's job, for um, their career path, you know, for how they see their field and where it's moving, um, that can, you know, help you both when you're going to apply for jobs and also to build that relationship should they ever refer you down the road. Yeah, it's reciprocal. You can help them, they can help you. It's not just, you know, like a transactional exactly. thing. Okay, so I think one of the things that people who have been in the workforce for a little bit longer struggle with a lot is how do we know when it's time to get a new job or to start looking for a new job? Because for a lot of people, it might be easy just to sit, but you're not really growing. Exactly. And I think when people think of getting a new job, it, it's always the extremes, right? So people are thinking, like, if I'm completely miserable, if I have a horrible boss, those are signs to leave a job, which is obviously true. Um, but I think a lot of people actually don't notice the more subtle signs that a job isn't a good fit or you're sort of stagnant in your career. Um, so things like you're bored, you come into work and you're not really motivated. Um, you've been doing the same job since you started. I mean, I think every job should progress in some way and you should be taking on new projects and responsibilities. Um, and if you've really found that there's no growth for that, whether you've talked to your boss, you've tried to work on different projects and gotten rejected, um, those are the kind of signs that maybe it's time to move on to something that's really going to help you grow. Yeah, well, Elise, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's take it to the timeline. What are your guys' biggest tips for people who are on the job hunt? Let us know using the hashtag ANCDM. And don't go away. We've got more for you coming up next. Aro Kwan tweeted, I cannot stop thinking about Miriam Tay's women talking. I want it to, I don't know, win a booker, be a massive bestseller, a go-to the way The Handmaid's Tale has become a go-to. Mostly, I just want everyone to read it. And Elliot Holt, you tweeted, interrupting my Twitter hiatus to say that everyone should immediately read Miriam Tay's women talking, which is devastating and funny and unforgettable. A true masterpiece. Miriam Tay's best-selling author and writer of Women Talking joins me now. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm doing very well. Congrats on this incredible book. Thanks. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about what this story is about? And it's based on a real story. So how you first came across it. Mm. Um, I first heard about these the, the rapes that are at the center of the story um, in about 2009. So between the years 2005, 2009, mm -hmm. uh, women in the uh, ultra-conservative Mennonite colony mm -hmm. in Bolivia were waking up to have to find that they had been attacked, mm -hmm. um, raped, um, and um, they had like burn marks on burn their marks, wrists. rope marks. Yeah. yeah, they they knew that something had happened, and and so eventually it was revealed that uh, local men, Mennonite men, had been attacking them over the years, spraying you know the entire household with a, a animal anesthetic, mm -hmm. knocking them all out and and attacking the women. But um, but it took a long time for for the the truth basically to come out. The women weren't believed. They were um, you, you blamed, uh, and then the and then the attacks were blamed on demons and ghosts. Yeah, and, they were called the ghost rapes. Yeah, right? that was yeah. the kind of yeah you know um, moniker given to the but but um, in the headlines. Um, 
so, um, and these are ultra, ultra conservative uh, colonies mm. um, and, um, and, and uh, patriarchal, authoritarian, mm-hmm. um, fundamentalist communities mm-hmm. where, you know, and they're self-police, self-governed. So the women essentially have no recourse, um, you know, when eventually they did start talking about what had been happening to them and um, there, was, there was nothing for them to do. Yeah. And, and you yourself, you were raised Mennonite, mm-hmm. is that correct? Yeah. So what did it mean when, when, when you discovered this real life story? And then when did you decide that you wanted to write about it? Fictionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have been, the, the, when I heard about these rapes, I wasn't uh, surprised. I was horrified like everybody else. But knowing um, the conditions, the circumstances in these communities, I didn't grow up in such an ultra-conservative uh, Mennonite community, but certainly a conservative Mennonite community where the rules are the same. Mm-hmm. The rules for men and women are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had those questions about that, that, that hierarchy, that patriarchy, that, you know, that fundamentalism mm. um, and that interpretation of the scripture basically which is so misogynistic and I've had the, I've had those questions about that community my community um, basically ever since I start, started writing so when I heard about these crimes it was kind of a natural uh, it was an extension really mm. a, a deepening of, of those questions and and uh, that that I that I had about the community so I started thinking about writing it in 2009 and and and, and had those experiences I did want to say one thing in Elliot Holtz tweet that was mentioned, and also um, the New York Times write-up of the book mentions that it, it is, there's real humor here. How, how did you, how did you do that? Because I, I too, like there's, there's, it's a devastating book, but there's real humor in it. Mm-hmm. What made you want to have that lev- levity in there as well? I think it's something that I've always, uh, I'm not sure, it's just a kind of uh, manifestation of the way that I see, perceive perceive the world to be, and, and this world is no different in that. I mean, obviously, this is a, this is a horrifying, serious situation, um, and it's ongoing, but, but, um, but, you know, the women, and I know these women, uh, the women in the book are, are, are inspired by all of the Mennonite women that I know, my Mother, my sister, friends. And, you named and characters was, after yeah. after your family. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And the, and the idea of humor, especially subversive humor, especially in these types of communities, is so um, um, you know Im- important and and evident, and is how I grew up you mm. know, with, with with jokes and with laughter and with and with a kind of you know perspective on the on the world really as a survival mm-hmm. mechanism. So it's part. It's part. It is a way of surviving, and Absolutely. that really is shown in the book. Um, I'm gonna read some more tweets to because again, everyone loves this book, including, uh, you know, Margaret Atwood. And there have been a lot of allusions, of course, to The Handmaid's Tale. Margaret Atwood herself tweeted, Women Talking by Miriam Taze. Don't miss this one. This amazing, sad, shocking, but touching novel based on a real-life event could be right out of The Handmaid's Tale. So was the parallel to that book, I mean, you yourself, I'm sorry, I'm sure I'm like the 25th TV person to say this to you, but you're from Canada. She herself is from Canada. Was the parallel there when you started working on this project? Um, not in my mind, necessarily. I mean, I, of course, like everybody else in Canada and, and the world, you know, we're, fami- we're familiar with, um, with, with with her work. And, and certainly, you know, I, I, I see the, uh, you know, the, the um, connections um, and, and the similarities, but it wasn't something that I was thinking about when I was writing about it. Um, this is, you know, simply because, or one of the main reasons is because they were, you know, real, real, real events and, and, um, and, you know, and, and it wasn't this, it wasn't a kind of, um, dis, you know, a, a dystopian mm-hmm. fiction. It's a, you know, it's, it's more just a, a bunch of women talking. Yeah, and like, and like you said, this is not something happening in the future. It's something that's happening <laughs> yeah. right 
Now, uh, that, that's a kind of another thing that I wanted to talk about. Uh, Parul, who, who, who reviewed your book, had another piece that was kind of about the importance of a tackling Me Too with fiction. So why, for, why did you turn to basically, one, writing a novel, but two, do you think there are other books out there really exploring this moment through fiction, and, and what's to be gained exploring these horrible, real atrocities through fiction instead of through, like, nonfiction reporting? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I, I finished writing this book before uh, the Me Too movement mm -hmm. began, be, mm -hmm. before this second iteration, basically, mm -hmm. of the Me Too movement began. So, um, but, but naturally, um, you, you know, a lot of people, when they talk about this book, they put it into that, into that context mm -hmm. and, and, um, and, and within that conversation. And, and it's good to know that, this, that the book is, you know, kind of small piece of, piece of mm -hmm. that conversation. I think fiction allows, um, uh, you know, a way of getting at the truth that, that, mm. that uh, as they say, you know, uh, that nonfiction might not. Um, it's a way of an asking questions, of speculating, of creating character, of creating, you know, a type of um, tone uh, and, a, and a type of inclusivity, I think, mm. too, you know, mm. um, when, when thinking about these things, when thinking about the Me Too movement, when thinking about sexual assault, domestic mm. violence. I mean, it's, um, it's just a different way. It's a different entry into, into the same story. And it's a, it's a different way of examining it, but you can really attack it from any angle that you want. Um, to talk about terrible real-life events, though, right now, just on the show, we talked about Georgia yesterday. Mm. Just this morning, we talked about what's going on in Alabama. Um, are you keeping up on those stories? Absolutely. Is this something that absolutely worries you? Absolutely. It's it's sinister and shocking. I, I actually can't quite believe it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it's not, and there are a few other states as well, yeah. from my understanding, Kentucky and mm -hmm. Iowa. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly. But yeah, Georgia, I mean, it, it's astonishing to me. I don't, um, and, I, and I'm following it closely, and, and I'm really curious to know what, you know, what will the fallout be? What, I mean, what will happen to women? Yeah, do I, and I hate, like, this is such a loaded question, but, like, do you have any optimism? Do you think there is going to be a strong enough pushback? Yeah, I do have optimism because I've met with so many women, young and old and, and, and uh, you know, in, in all over the place uh, talking about this stuff and, and knowing that we need to get together. We need to, you know, we need to fight more now than ever, although we always have had to fight. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I'm optimistic. But I mean, it's a, it's a, this is a huge turn of events that's happening mm -hmm. now and, and um, with, with abortion rights, but all sorts of other things. Absolutely. And, and I'll say the characters and, and the coming together that happens in this book, maybe. Just read it. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to say read it. Thank you so much for Thank joining us, so Miriam. Really appreciate you coming really. on this show. Really appreciate it. Women Talking is available in bookstores now. As we always say, buy two copies, one for a friend. Stay tuned. More AM to DM is up next. Welcome back. I'm Hayes Brown, and the library is open. I'm breaking down last night's episode of Drag Race with Syzygy, who is just standing Next to me, is it no, no big entrance today? There's no special entrance, there's no magic. I'm afraid that in this episode, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. I feel that, I feel that deeply in my soul. Like, what was that last night? That, I've been watching Drag Race for a minute and mm. it's hard to think of an episode that was more underwhelming. I wasn't even whelmed, no, I was <laughs> underwhelmed yesterday. Yeah. Unlike this outfit, which I gotta say is Ooh. so good, it shows like so much Slytherin ambition, unlike last night's episode. You. you know, <laughs> in a world of Hufflepuffs, <laughs> be a Slytherin. Uh, solid advice for us all. So the Eliminated Queens last night returned mm. just to be made over for the annual makeover challenge. How do you feel about that decision? 
I didn't actually like it because yeah. I felt like, A, one of the queens should have come back. If you were right. competing for that, you there should be an incentive for you mm-hmm. to do even better. Secondly, I felt like there was no, there's always like a little stupid dance challenge. Mm-hmm. And I felt like you have a professional queen. You could have done more than just mm-hmm. a runway. You could have. I, I loved the makeover challenge, especially mm. the most recent ones. I loved, especially season nines where they made over the crew. I love oh, yeah. that. Sarge, that yeah. is one of the mm-hmm. best parts about the makeover challenge. Taking someone who has no idea what drag is and bringing them into right. that world, amazing. Yeah. So if you they had brought someone back, who would you have wanted to come back? Plastique. Oh, fair Bottom line, cut and dry. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, I yeah. mean, she should still be here. Um, and bottom line, I'm rooting for everybody Asian. So, plastique. Amen. Ah, but speaking of rooting for everyone Asian, let's discuss the tragedy. All right, of well, not Soju. everyone. <laughs> yeah, the, the tra- tra- lamentable tragedy of Soju. <laughs> what happened here? Um, you know, Soju has a lot of narratives going on. Mm-hmm. She has her cyst that ruptured before filming. She As has, you can see, she can't walk in heels. Yeah, she has tendonitis. She can't walk in heels and. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, look, in like five weeks, Evie oddly won't be able to physically walk anymore. <laughs> I mean, but yet Soju's like, oh, I have tendonitis, I can't wear heels. Uh, like, get a cortisone shot, girl, it's the Olympics. Also, I gotta say, I'm pointing out that Sizzy is like taller than me today she's oh, yeah. wearing nine inch heels. I would lift Casual. She is, she is not even competing on drag like race. And she's there doing better than Soju in heels. This really hurts, actually. You put that down. Put, okay. Get yeah, that I'm, away. Get I'm, that. Get, I'm getting down. Are you okay? You yeah, okay? You okay? You okay? Okay. So, I'm the next Brooklyn Heights. <laughs> you like that? Mm. So both Ariel and Scarlett came back yeah. saying they wanted to throw shade, mix it up, mm. but it wound up leading nowhere. Is that yeah. how you would have handled it? Um, look, with Ariel and the whole, and Wiggate. Wiggate you know, 2019. 20, 2019, like, there's a... Different narrative from when she's talking to Vanessa than when she's actually being confronted with it. So that just speaks to how producers are trying to manufacture drama. And I don't right, care it felt it. really forced. And I mean, they just yeah. didn't have much to go on this episode because usually the makeover challenges, some of it is mm-hmm. usually either they have, sometimes they bring in people who are close to mm-hmm. the queens. And right. that's always good for, you know, drama and emotions. Mm-hmm. Like the, in uh, All Stars 2, when Alyssa Edwards and her sister reconnected, yep. that was amazing. This was trash. Uh, ultimately, <laughs> Brooke won. Hmm. Brooklyn Heights won. Would that have been your pick? No. No. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. In like, terms of things I wouldn't pick, I also wouldn't have picked that outfit for Rue at the Met Gala. <gasps> but bygones be bygones. <sighs> okay. Uh, RuPaul, we would still love to have you on the library. <laughs> oh, yeah. Rue, you're still an icon and a legend. I would love to meet you. But... But but after last night's win, everyone seemed surprised that Brooklyn took it over Vanjie. Vanjie <sighs> deserved the win. She should have had the win. What the heck happened? White privilege. <sighs> oh, look. Tea. Delicious on a Friday morning. I actually, I actually can't drink from the mug because there's no straw because we're saving turtles at BuzzFeed and I can't. <laughs> Okay, well, it's time to secure your wigs because we need to talk some spoilers real quick. Oh, boy. All season long, all season long, Silky, Nutmeg, Ganache, PhD, ABD has been promising that she's ready to lip sync for her life. Let's take a look. If I would have lip synced for my motherfucking life today, bitch, I was motherfucking ready. I was ready to do so. What does that have to do with anything, bitch? Don't go off topic. Why are we yelling? (laughs) Why are we yelling? Is so how I feel about this season as a whole. So, 
She says she was ready, mm. but what the hell happened in that lip sync last night? You know, honestly, Hayes, when I'm looking at it, I just, I can't. <laughs> like, it, like, I just, I can't. than whatever happened on the runway last night. I'm literally screaming right now. So they had to perform No Scrubs, a TLC classic. What do you think of that as a lip sync song? I like TLC and I do like Mary J. Blige. <laughs> but it's- The truth comes up. What is the truth? But Truth Hurts 2020 and I feel like those mid-tempo songs that don't have those like those power big moments, like you either have to have an up-tempo that you can dance to or a ballad that you, like it's literally akin to the Green Light Lord song mm. that Kennedy lip synced to. Like there's not a lot to go on. And then looking at the lip sync, it was awful. It, it was, was trash. So it was, yeah. I'm having a hard time thinking of a more disappointing lip sync where both queens didn't go home. Honey Mahogany and Vivian Panay were better than this. And they Damn. sucked. Uh, Jax. <laughs> What's her name? And Layla. Dax, Dax, exclamation Dax, point. Exclamation point. <laughs> Layla you know, McQueen. Queen. That was better than this. Yeah. And they both went home. Yeah. Like Silky, I don't know what Rue saw on that stage to let, to keep her. <sighs> I mean, maybe it was just the fact that they couldn't cut any more queens because they had more episodes right. to fill. But even then, Nina should not have been the Correct. one who wound up going home, which is what happened. Extremely sad. Nina gets grayed out on our contestant board. <laughs> Which is a real shame. It is, because I did, a few weeks ago, she was my pick to win, looking, right. at, looking at everything. And I thought with her winning the last challenge, perhaps this would buoy her to the top three mm -hmm. and win. Of course, the rumor mill said that Nina would be going home at this episode. Mm -hmm. The thing that bothers me is that I would have been happier with a double elimination right. than to keep Silky. Her, her sash fell between her legs, she tripped over it. Yes. She pulled off her wig and then the ponytail, like she couldn't get it out of got her face. Got all up in. She got tired, she got winded, and she repeats the same dance phrases mm -hmm. often with a windmill, pas de bourree, kickball change. Yeah. Like, uh, half, ugh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, Anita wasn't spectacular, her runways weren't oh, no. great, yeah. but she still deserved it more. Well, Syzygy, Thank you so much. The library is now closed, as is our heart to the future of this season. Up next, Isaac and Saeed are reading a few more of your tweets. Stick around, guys, unlike Syzygy. Welcome back, welcome back. I wish I had like a wig reveal. That's what I was about to say. Oh. I wish that I had a wig that I could take off every I was in control. What could I take? Yeah, could take this one. Come on, you know what? Let me get up there. Control room lost my damn mind. It was incredible. That was. I got a bang piece and I got the whole unit. Hold on. Okay, hang on. Here we go. What's I think I'm gonna get a. I'm gonna get a. Oh, it's a bang. Oh, thank you. Y'all wanted Rob Zombie. You got it. This feels so good. Let me see your front. Let me see your front. Ooh, good. Wait, maybe. Hold on. Wait, you want to? You want to? Looking like a supermodel. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. You guys look great. I feel really beautiful. <laughs> you 
uh, from the oh, side, it really it. works. It really works. Just a little, yeah, all right. Blazing FMA, you <laughs> tweeted, OMG, Gabriel Ruiz talked about Lin-Manuel, and he suddenly tweeted at the exact same time. Summoned him. It was, it was very fun to hear her. That's amazing, though. Those are those moments, right? She debuted on uh, In the Heights, yeah. and then to have that lead to this incredibly successful so television series. Yeah, right? Gosh. It's so exciting. Oof, so good. Um, we also asked what Rihanna should take over next. Mousy Core says, I mean, there is an obvious answer, which is the Oval Office. Um, <laughs> but I like Riri way, way too much to think of that kind of stress on her. Yeah, I just... She wouldn't be making that money. I, I, I do wonder if Rihanna is interested in music, like really interested in music, or if music was the vehicle to get her to where she is now. I you know think, what I mean? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I'm going to go with why not both. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Why not both? I hope because I, I think it's like she's supposedly working on a dance hall. That is, there is there yeah. is talk of that. It's so fun to play with your hair. I didn't realize <laughs> how enjoyable <laughs> this, this is was. This is great. This is wonderful. Babe, we also asked, now, what ladies. are your biggest tips for people on the job hunt? And Cini Martinez says, Take a job doing anything, no matter how small, as long as it's in the industry you want to be in. You can meet people, learn in these environments without the pressure of a big title. You will move up. And I think that's a really important advice, because for me, I- I'm sorry, we're trying to give people work advice. No, no, I mean, and listen, that's how I got here. Uh, No, this is the thing that is very important to me. Try to climb the ladder that you want to be on. Yeah. And that I think is always, that's something I always try to be focused on, (laughs) is like, can you get to the top of a, if you're if you're climbing a ladder and you don't want to get to the top of it, why are you even on right. it? Right. I mean, the best advice I got when I was, and I think I was in high school at the time, was that like um, become indispensable. Mm. You know, be be so good at whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. no matter what, um, that you know the 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 powers that be um, wherever you're working can't imagine success without you being a part of it. And when you are like that. My goodness. And when you're like that at the thing you want to be doing, that's when you're doing it right. A lot of opportunities open up. Uh, Well, yesterday we asked you to vote on our new Lower Third AM to DM t-shirt, and the winner is Everything is Not Fine. Everything is not fine. It's a mood. Which is, I I would even, I could, It's a whole way of life. You can buy this shirt at the t-shirt link below. Very nice, very nice. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter, of course. There it is. Sign up for the AMTDM newsletter. Do it. Oh, look at the T. Oh, my God. Yeah, we got this. I like the sweatshirt. There's a muscle T in there. I got (laughs) it. Okay. Uh, I will say that the the sweatshirt sounds usable because this spring in New York is cold. I'm (laughs) cold. I'm freezing. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) thank you to all of our guests today. Stephanie McNills, Hay Brown, Hayes Brown, Jesus Christ, uh, Abby Crane, Justin Elliott, uh, Alish Kalish, uh, Miriam Taze, Sisaji, and Gabrielle Ruiz. Thank Absolutely. It was so wonderful. Thank you all for coming on this show. And next week we have Rachel Dratch, oh! Gabrielle Union, oh! Jessica Alba, oh! Margot Martindale, oh! Asia Kate Dillon, oh! and more. Look at Margot Martindale. That's incredible. Oh, that's going to be She's a She's going to show up week. and pretend to be you. Don't miss it. Listen, Saeed is missing Monday, though. He will be off. I will be back here on Monday at 10 a.m. with Sylvia O'Bell. Oh, I love that. Maybe I'll keep the wig on all you weekend. Should. You all Call enjoy your time. Have no. a great Oh my no, God. that's mine. No. Wow. I feel very unsupported. I hope wow. you have a very wonderful week. Having a drag queen on our show is very inconvenient. Oh, oh, break it. I saw a smile. I saw a smile. <laughs>